Well, I was getting a little nervous. Brother Joe kind of hit on my first point. So, uh, and then Rachel's song took care of my second point, and, and Pastor pretty much summed it all up. So uh, I'm just going to dismiss us in prayer. Uh, no, you're not getting off that easy. Um, if you could get to Genesis chapter 22, um, that's good. You know, they, they were able to say the things that they said because we're all like-minded, because we all read the same book. So if they touched on my message, then that means that we're all the same mind, and that's a good thing. So that's a blessing. Um, yeah, that, and that song, that was very good. That was, that's a real blessing. Um, like you said, that, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with my second point, and you'll, you'll see how that works out. Um, but when I, uh, you know, this was kind of a last-minute sort of message, and um, if, if, if there was ever, then there really wasn't much doubt, because I believe this is what God put on my heart, but, you know, it was all, if there was any doubt, it had been removed um, when, the, when the guys and, and lady before me uh, said the things that they said and sung the songs that they sang. Um, you know, God just gives you some, some encouragement, and sometimes he just shows you some things. But if you can get to Genesis chapter 22, I just want to read the first couple verses, and uh, we'll get into this. Um, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, or here I, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Brother Tom Combs, would you pray for me, sir? So before we, we get to this passage, there's a couple things we got to lay a little bit of groundwork. See, God had made a couple of promises to Abraham regarding his descendants. And, and he, in one point, he, over in Genesis 13, he told me, he said, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth. And then over in Genesis 15, he says, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars of the, the heaven. And Paul had a promise. He had a promise from God that he would preach. He would go to Rome and he would preach. And these things here that these men had in common is they, they lived boldly. And it wasn't because of the circumstances that, that surrounded them. It wasn't because of the things that were going on around them. But it was because of the promises that they had received from God. They were able to live bold, courageous lives and do the things that they did because they had promises from God that had not yet been fulfilled. They, they didn't rely on their own strengths, yet they realized their own weaknesses. See, that's the problem. A lot of times we rely on our own strengths rather than focusing on where we are weak and relying on God to, keep, to shore us up in those areas. So they relied more on his strength rather than their own. And what I want to talk to, about tonight is, is finding strength in his promises. I know this is a common passage, and we've, we've heard messages preached from it, and this really isn't going to be about uh, uh, offering your Isaac on the altar. Um, that's that's uh, something we've all heard a message preached in various ways, and those are good messages, but that's, I'm looking at it from a slightly different perspective. Uh, I want to look at it, and like I said, I want to talk about finding the strength and the promises that we get from God. Amen. And as Christians, we have a lot of, of promises. And we'll talk about those a little more in particular there in the closing comments when I get to the end. But we can find strength in the things that he has told us that he will do. Amen. And we can find strength in the things that he said we, he, he has for us and he has in store for us and the things he wants for us. But we have to learn a few things to, 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 in order to, to get a hold of those things, in order to find the strength in those promises. And the first thing I want to look at here is in verse 3. 
It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. So the first thing I want to talk about, the first thing we're going to find in his, his promises is the strength to defy the world. Now, the Bible doesn't say much about if Abraham, he just says he rose up early, loaded everything up, and he took off. Now, I don't know that he told anybody what his intentions were, if he had said anything to anybody, but surely if he did, that is said, slow down, crazy old man, what are you doing? What are you, what are you talking about? You're going to go, you're going to go to some mount somewhere that you don't even know where you're going, and you're going to sacrifice your son. What in the world are you thinking of? They're going to say, you're, you're nuts. You got up too early. The Bible says Abraham rose up early. They're going to say, go back to bed, you goofball. It's, the, the roosters aren't even up. Go to sleep. Think about this thing. But see, Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to do what God would have me to do. And he said, I'm going to defy what the world would tell me that I should be doing. And as, as Brother Joe had said, uh, he talked about Jesus Christ. He's, the world hates him. There's a couple other things. Uh, the Bible is not popular. This, this book right here, the King James 1611, is not popular. The gospel is certainly not popular. Um, even among most saved people, this, this, this King James 1611 Bible is not a very popular book. Most churches don't preach from it. They certainly don't teach from it or, or study from it. Uh, they, they get into these other perverted versions. Uh, proper church-age doctrine that comes from this book is not popular. Expository preaching is not popular. When I was going through school, and they, we, the very first uh, classes when they had us reading a couple books about preaching, they said that expository preaching is, is a form of preaching that is not very popular. It's kind of going the way of the dodo bird or the dinosaur or whatever else is, has it extinct. They said uh, it, it's just, it requires something from this word. It requires, first of all, for the preacher to get his own thoughts and his own uh, desires out of the way. What it requires is for God's word to speak for itself and to preach itself. And people don't want to do that anymore. They want to input their own thoughts and their own desires and their own agendas into and make God's word uh, fit their own agendas. Uh, it, it requires prayer and it requires study and it requires meditation and then they have to go back to prayer and it requires studying on God's word and looking what he has to say about it and letting the scriptures define themselves. Topical preaching, on the other hand, is very popular. Now, not to say that it's all bad. You've heard some from this pulpit, and that's not a bad thing. But you've got to be careful about what you're hearing and who's doing the preaching, because a lot of it is nothing more than just a way to, to twist the Scripture, to take it out of context, to fit their own uh, agendas, to what they would have you to believe, to what they would have you to do according to what they think is right and wrong, not according to what God says is right and wrong. So this book, in many ways, is not popular. Uh, uh, rightly dividing, it's barely even recognized or practiced, and it's certainly not popular. That's why we have churches believing you and teaching and preaching you can lose your salvation. Uh, that, that's why they're all messed up mid-trib and pre-trib and post-trib. They, they, don't, they don't know what they're reading because they haven't properly divided the world. They think that the whole entire New Testament applies to us. Well, they're wrong. Very, about half of the New Testament actually applies to us in this doctrine. But they don't get that. They think the gospel, very little of the gospels actually apply to us. Small portions, but mostly it's not to us. But they didn't rightly divide, so they wouldn't know any better. And this is just within the church. I'm not even talking about lost people. 
I'm not talking this church. I'm talking about churches across the country. This is where they're at. This is what they believe about, about this book, this 1611. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not popular. The world will tell you it's too regimented. They'll tell you it's too definitive. It, it, it's, it's too limiting. It's too authoritative. People don't like authority. Well, I'll tell you, people do not like being told what to do or what not to do. They just, they hate that. Even if they know what they're doing is wrong, they don't want to hear it from you. They just don't want to hear that they are wrong and you've got some, something to back it up and prove that they, what they're doing is wrong. It's not about me being right or wrong or it's not about me proving you right or wrong. It's about doing what this book says according to what this book says, according to what God had said. Uh, they'll tell you the gospel is too narrow and it's too limited in scope. They'll say there's not enough flexibility to be yourself. So you, you know, you got to be you. you know, that's what they'll, help, they'll have you to, uh, to think. Well, newsflash, we're not supposed to be us anymore. We're a new creature. Okay, we're supposed to be a new creature. We're supposed to come up and be separate. We're not supposed to be the old man anymore. That's the problem. People want to be the old man. They want to, they want to fit in with that crowd. Israel wanted a king just like all the nations around. They looked and they said, well, man, they've got a king and they've got a worldly king and they've got a, look at, oh, man, look at that king. He, 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 man, he's dressed up real nice and he's a big, tall, strong king. We want a king like them. And God said, I'm your king. I've given you judges. You don't need any more. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. You've given us some knuckleheads and their children are messed up. We don't want your judges. We want a king. We don't want you as our king. We want to be like all the nations around us. So God said, all right, I'll give you your wants and your desires. You see how that worked out throughout the years. You know what? We shouldn't have a need or a desire for any other king. Jesus Christ is our king. Who else are you looking for? What else are you wanting? What more can you expect to find? You're going to fall short because there's nothing better than him. There's nothing that's going to meet the expectations like he can. He will far exceed them, far surpass them. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around the things that he can do and that he wants to do for us and with us and in us. See, our minds are very limited and we're, we're, we're on a very finite scale. But he says, man, I've got so much more you can't even begin to imagine it. We just need to learn to trust him. And then Jesus Christ himself is not popular. Uh, the world would have you believe that he had a relationship with Mary Magdalene. The world would have you believe he had a homosexual relationship with John. The world would have you believe he isn't the Son of God or God incarnate. The world would have you believe that he loves all men and that he will accept you as you are without accepting him at all. That's not the way it works. The, word changes and perver- the, the world will change and pervert uh, God's words. They remove the blood, they remove the deity, they remove the lordship of Jesus Christ from this book because they hate him. Satan does not want you to read about that shed blood at Calvary. He does not want you to focus on that and trust in that shed blood. He does not want you to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as, as Lord and King. Um, the, the new perverted versions out there, all 200 some of them or however many there are, they, they, they change words, they take things out. What they do is exactly what Satan did over in Genesis 3. They add to, they take away from, and they question the word of God. They plant the seeds of doubt all along the way. 
Um, you can't walk in this world and serve Jesus Christ at the same time. You just can't do it. Uh, there will come a time, and more often than not, there will be multiple times you're going to have to make a choice. At some point, you're going to have to choose which path you want to follow. And usually it'll be multiple times. It's not going to happen just once. There's the initial time when you get saved, but then after that, you're still going to have to make choices. If you want continued fellowship with him, you can't walk like them, them being the world. You can't dress like the world. You can't do the things that they do and have the proper relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, this is elementary. This is, this is you know, Christian 101 stuff. I understand that. But the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Okay, a little slip here, a little compromise there, a little behind closed doors action every now and then is going to pollute the whole body. Years ago, I was adjusting some galvanized shelving we have down in our basement, and I went to, to move the shelf up or down or whatever it was. I was adjusting it, and so I was hitting it with my hand. Well, what I did when I did that, the, the vertical support, it, it caught my knuckle. And it was just a small little cut. I mean, I've had probably 5,000 cuts that were way worse than this one was. It, it, was barely, it barely broke the surface of the skin, maybe, maybe a half inch long, maybe. Just a teeny little thing. I didn't even pay no attention to it. I barely even knew it was there. I used to turn wrenches for a living. I've had cuts and bangs and bruises. and so, Okay, trust me, this one here didn't even hardly register on the radar. So... Now let's fast forward, just, you know, later that evening, I was washing off some tables and I had a bucket of soap water that I probably should have uh, threw out and, and filled with some fresh water, but I didn't. And, and as I'm washing these tables down, uh, I guess some bacteria or something had gotten in that little cut. And the next morning I went and I went to reach in my pocket and like, ah, man, that hurt. I'm thinking, that hurt a lot worse than it should have for such a little cut. I'm like, why is that hurt? Later on in the day, it started getting red and warm. By Tuesday evening, I went to the uh, uh, urgent care, and he said, you need to go check yourself in the emergency room, because if you don't, the next time you're seen, they'll be, they'll be t cutting your arm open trying to clean out this infection. So I went in and then spent a few days in there, and, the, and they pumped me, through, uh, pumped me full of the antibiotics and all that stuff. He said, what is that? That was just a very small cut that I really paid no attention to, a little bit of bacteria got in there, and next thing I know, it started infecting my hand. And then it started getting down to my wrist and into my arm. And if left unattended, it would have kept on going and caused more serious problems. See, that's what sin does for us. So that's what happens when you think you're, you're, you're fooling others, and you may be. You may be doing something in this church right now. You may be a member of this church, and you're out there doing something. You think you're fooling everybody in here, and you probably are. But you're not fooling God. Okay, you're, you're sneaking around in the shadows. You're doing things behind closed doors. You're doing things that you know is wrong. You're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You're doing things that you would not do if Jesus Christ was sitting next to you. And you think you're fooling everybody. But you're not fooling him. So you can't have to... And I heard a guy say one time, well, I've got two lives. This was, you know, saved man. He said, I've got two lives. I've got my church life and i got my personal life. Okay, there's a problem with that. You have one life. Now, there may be aspects of your life that you are personal, and I, and I you know, think you should keep them that way. A lot of times you hear unspoken prayer requests. Well, that's because maybe sometimes we don't want all the gory details out because people's imaginations run wild. 
So all we have to say is, I've got an unspoken. There's something on my heart that I really want you to pray with me about. God knows those details. Okay, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a secondary life, a life outside the church where you feel that you can live like hell and, and, and live ungodly, sinful lives and do what you want and then come to church and put on your little halo and act a totally different way. Look, I am not any different I am at work than I am here. There is not one thing that I would say to anybody I work with that I would not tell any of you or my wife or my kids. Okay? If, I, if I'm going to tell them a joke or if I'm going to say a comment to them, it's going to be just the same as I would tell anybody at work. I don't have a second life or, or a different life outside this church. I'm just as ignorant and, and bullheaded outside as I am inside or inside as I am outside, however you want to look at it. I'm the same person in both places. Um, ask my wife and kids, ask my neighbors, ask whoever. I'm just as goofy outside the building as I am in, but I'm not any different. Okay? Let's look at verses 7 and 8. So we talked about the strength to defy the world. You're going to have to make a stand. Also along the way, you're going to have to find strength to have faith. Verses 7 and 8 says, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My God, or my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Has God ever asked you to sacrifice something uh, important to you? And have you ever trusted him that it would all be okay, that it would all turn out okay if you just, just gave that thing over to him? Maybe it was a job, maybe it was a position, maybe it was money, reputation, uh, maybe it was worldly items, maybe it was your thoughts, maybe it was your actions, your deeds, whatever the case may be. Has, ever, has God ever approached you and said, okay, I need you to give this up for me? Okay? We're at a point in your walk where you have to, to make a choice now, and you have to give something up, you have to lay something on the altar of sacrifice and, and, and get rid of it for me. I, that's happened to me a bunch throughout my Christian walk. In fact, I'm almost at the point now where I can and look at something, and it's not even necessarily anything bad or anything wrong, but I'll, I can look at it and I can say, okay, at some point I know God is just going to move this out of my life because at some point he's just going to say, okay, let's take that next step. And whatever that may be is going to be interfering with the next step. Now, like I said, it's not anything, it doesn't even have to be anything bad. It doesn't have to be an idol in your life, something that you put ahead of God. It's just something where he says, okay, I think we're ready to move beyond this now and grow a little closer to me. But in order to do that, you have to put some other stuff aside. Just like when I went to school, I had to make time for school. A lot of people don't finish the school or take a long time to finish the school. Why? Because they don't make the time for it. They don't make the, the dedication to do it. And they don't purpose in their heart say, okay, I'm going to finish this school. Now, I'm, I'm not not putting anybody down or anything like that. What I'm saying is when you, when you make that commitment, what you got to realize is it's going to take some time. Amen. You're going to have to stop doing something that you used to do in order to do something that God wants you to do. That's just plain and simple. That's physics. You only have, I guess it's physics, I don't know. You only got so much time. You can't make more time. Okay. So if it takes you an hour to do this and you only have an hour, and God says, I want you to spend an hour in school a day. Well, clearly, this hour has to go out the door. That's just all there is to it. You have to make that commitment, and you have to stick with it. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Not at all. 
Just using this same example, there was times I would get home from work and I did not feel like going to school in the basement. Whether it was a nice, bright, sunny day outside or whether it was a cold, wintry day, I could find any excuse to not go down and sit in my basement for the next hour and a half, hour, two hours, whatever it was. I found all kinds of excuses, but I kept on doing it. In fact, it got to the point where I would come home and I would take a quick power nap. And that was against everything I thought. Would, I'm thinking, well, that's just wasting 20 or 30 minutes. What I realized by taking a quick little nap like that, it refreshed me enough so that when I did get down there, I absorbed the information a little bit more quickly and, and I actually retained it a little bit better because I was a little bit more rested and a little bit more relaxed. So sometimes doing what God would have to do is going to require a small investment and it's going to require you putting some other stuff out of the way in order to do what he would have you to do. You're going to have to put something on that altar. And you're going to have to have the strength to have the faith to do what he's asking you to do. The devil is always going to be in your ear telling you what you can't do. He is always going to be in your ear telling you what God won't do. And he's always going to be in your ear telling you what others think you should do. Okay, you're always going to have opposition from the devil. And especially if you're trying to do something for God. If you're trying to, to, to put something on the altar for him, if you're trying to grow closer to him, if you're trying to get, just take another step, the devil is going to oppose you every step of the way. I got back from Jacksonville, and Brother Steve was asking me about, about flying. And many of you know, you know I've, I've, I've been around airplanes. I'm 50 years old. I've probably 45 of those years, I've had some involvement with airplanes, whether it was reading books and building models at a very young age, or whether it was the, the two and a half years I spent in school learning how to work on them, or whether it's been the 30-plus years I've had since then in the industry. The vast majority of my life, all but a few years, has been spent around airplanes, focusing on airplanes, doing something with airplanes, okay? So he asked me, what was the most dangerous part of flying? And I said, well, you know, other than like an engine falling off or something like that, you know, that can be pretty dangerous. But I'm talking about just a normal flight where everything works as it should and nothing breaks and there's no failures or anything like that. In my mind, the most dangerous part of a, of a flight is during takeoff. Okay, you're, you're, the airplane is dirty. Now, I'm not talking physical dirt. I'm talking the control surfaces are down, the gear is down. That airplane has got as much drag as it's going to have on it until it finally starts to slow down and, and go for a final approach. That plane is, is dirty. It's slow. It's trying to go down the runway. It's trying to pick up speed. The engines are, are uh, uh, unlike what you see in the, the movies. They don't firewall them like they would have you to believe. Uh, there's a lot of things that come into how far you can move those throttles. Uh, most of it's all barometric pressure and temperature and humidity and elevation and altitude and all that sort of thing. But, you know, on the, in Hollywood, it's just fun to see them go like that. Okay, if you go like that, you're going to have those engines in a lot of little pieces, killing a whole lot of people really fast. They will call what we, what we call in the uh, industry, they will shell out. That means all their little pieces on the inside will now be on the outside. You don't want that. Uh, but, but those things will be cranking as fast as they can for those conditions. Uh, the plane will be heavy. Now, the cargo and the, and the passengers, that weight doesn't change, hopefully, throughout the flight. That all remains the same. But during takeoff is when you will have your greatest fuel load. Okay, when you finally get to where you're going, you've burned all that fuel, you're much lighter. So you're trying to gain altitude, you're moving slow, you've got the drag of the runway, you've got the drag of the, you, you can't, the, the aircraft's not generating lift, you're trying to gain altitude, you're trying to gain speed, 
Uh, you're trying to do all these things. There's no altitude. If something were to go wrong, you have no real room to correct it. Okay, and if some of you in here are getting ready to take a flight, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying this is kind of the way things work. Uh, there's very little room to correct when problems happen. Uh, there's a spot on the, the runway, which is known as the point of no return. And if you, if you pass that point, and it's different for each aircraft, obviously, but if you pass that point and you can't take off, well, then you're going to go into the, the sea or the lake or the highway or whatever it is that lies shortly beyond the edge of that runway. Okay, so you, you've got to get up in the air, okay? And it's not easy. That's the, the probably, like I said, probably the most dangerous. When you're up at 30,000 feet and something goes wrong, you have time, unless a wing falls off. Then you don't have much time. Um, but, you know, you have some time to work with these issues. They have redundant systems. If a fuel pump goes out over here, you can... You can uh, uh, Move the fuel around. You can you, know, you can do all that. You can cross feed it. Uh, even if you lose an engine, uh, you can still get by on most aircraft with an engine loss. Um, but, but you have time and you have altitude and you have a lot of those things. You have lift. You have speed, momentum, velocity. You have all those things on your side. You have very little of that at takeoff. You say, what are you talking about? When God is asking you to take that next step, when He's want you to take that next rung up the ladder, when He's want you to draw a little closer to Him. You're going to be just as vulnerable to the outside world. You're going to be just as vulnerable to the, the wiles and the attacks of the devil as that airplane is when it's trying to take off and get up to the safety where it, where it can cruise. You're going to be just as vulnerable. You're going to be just, just as open to, to failures and, and, and issues and attacks. And that's when you've got to be careful. That's where you've got to have the, find the strength to have faith that if God tells you, I want you to go here and I want you to do this and I want you to put all this behind you, you realize you're going to have some opposition. You realize you're going to be facing some troubles. You realize that things are not going to be smooth, but yet he will still get you where he wants you to be. He will get you to that next rung up the ladder. He will get you to that cruising altitude where he wants you to be until he says, okay, it's time to go a little bit further. You're going to need faith to get through those times. Why do you think the recidivism rate is so high in jails and the, court, and the, and the system? Why do you think we keep seeing the same guys down at the ADC and the, and the county jail? Because they can't break whatever orbit that they're in of the things that they turn to when things get tough, when times get tough. Okay, now look. I don't know what it is they turn to, whether it's a bottle of Jim Bean or, or, or a little white powdery line on a little mirror. And if they, if, I know that those are old, antiquated uh, illustrations. And, if, and if, if that's not what they use anymore, if that's not what they do, please leave me to my, my naivety and my ignorance. I don't want to know what they, I know there's probably worse substances out there. I don't want to know what they are. I don't care. The illustration still stands. Whatever it is that they turn to, when times are tough, it doesn't help their situation. Amen. It doesn't get them where they need to be. All it gets them is further in the world. It creates more problems for them. It creates more trouble for them. And it creates trouble for those around them. Have you ever been in a position which you had, if you, you, you realized if you did not have the faith that you have, you don't know how you would have gotten through it. We've all probably been there. We think about something like, man, if I had gone that before I gone through that before I was saved, or if I would have gone through that as a very young Christian before I really knew much of anything, man, I don't know how I could have gotten through it, or I don't know how 
things would have turned out because you just didn't have the faith. You didn't have the, the faith to turn to God rather than the things of this world. There's been a few times where I can look back on my life since I've been saved, and I think, man, if, if I hadn't been saved, if I didn't have Jesus Christ, if I didn't have that shed blood at Calvary to lean on, if I didn't have something from him, if I didn't have the faith and the grace that he gives, I don't know how I could have got through that situation, or I don't know how much worse that situation had been if I hadn't trusted in him. I've talked a little bit about it in the past, and I've been vague about it before. I'll be vague about it now, but 1996 was not a good year for me. And the things that I found comfort in back then did not make it any easier for sure. They very, mo they, they very certainly could have made things a, a lot worse situation for me. By the grace of God, they didn't. But had I been caught and had I had, it, it had been right to do it, you know, I couldn't have faulted him for it. But he, he gave me some grace, and that was before I was saved. He allowed me to get by with some things that uh, uh, could have turned things very different for me if he hadn't. Now, in contrast, 2008 was also a pretty rough year. And the last time I talked about this, Becca said she was born in 2008. And she said, man, I didn't realize the year I was born was such a bad year. Well, you know, it, it, there was good parts there. I mean, there was highlights. But, I mean, yeah, it was a pretty rough year. There were some things that had gone wrong uh, that year as well. But, see, my, what was different was my reaction. How I handled that situation was completely different than I had 12 years prior to that. Uh, it was a whole lot easier to navigate. You say, well, it couldn't have been that bad. I didn't say I didn't have the problems. I did. I had some things that went wrong. Um, that was the year where, you know, we, we, he bought the camper, and then all of a sudden, you know, a short time later, I found out I was losing my job, and basically it was presented to us like this. You're losing your job. Don't ask us when, because we don't know. There will be nothing here for you. All we can tell you is you will lose your good job, your good paying job and the benefits and all that you have, you will lose that. And there will be no more need for mechanics down here in Wilmington. Have a nice day. And that's essentially the way it stood for quite some time. Now, things changed. And, and as that year progressed, God worked some things out. But also during that year, we were in a church where, and I've said this before, we were in a church where the pastor preached from the King James, but that's not where he studied from. Uh, it, was, it was a church run, it was, it was a Southern Baptist church, and you know how uh, most of those are uh, run by committees, and most of the committees are headed by women. So the church was essentially run by a bunch of women. And the pastor had the backbone of a, uh, a wet dish rag, shall we say. Uh, he really had no, no ability to stand up to these women, uh, one of which was his wife. Um, I should get off this. Um, but here's the thing. God told us to leave that church. He, however, did not tell me to leave Wilmington. So you talk about a leap of faith there. I'm going church shopping when I'm going to lose my job and I got a baby on the way? Hello, God, are you, are you dialed in here? What's going on? Now, here we are. That was 2008. Uh, what are we, 14 years later? 2022, 14 and a half years later. I'm still in this church and I've still got a job in Wilmington. That's God. That's God. That ain't me. That ain't nothing I did. If I did anything right, it's on because God gave me the grace to make the right call. That's all him. Then let's, let's look at verses 11 and 12, and we'll, we'll bring this thing in for a landing here. 
It says, The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for, I, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So we talked about having the strength to defy the world. And we talked about having the strength to have faith. If you can get those two in line and get those two where they should be, then be like Abraham here and you'll find the strength to love God. Loving God is one of the hardest things that you will do. You say, well, what's so hard about it? Because it requires to turn your back on the things of this world. It requires you to hate some things going on around you. See, the pull of the flesh is so strong. Every thought and instinct that you have is naturally going to pull you away from God. You were born into sin. Okay? We were born of a sinful man. It is just, it, it's just the, the, the way things are. We're going to have a struggle. <clears throat> you, when you get saved and that, that spiritual circumcision happens, okay, and, and, and the soul is cut away from the flesh, at that point... There is a conflict that begins and it will last until you draw your final breath and your heart takes its last beat. That's just, that's, there's no way around it. That's what's going to happen. Your flesh is always going to pull you opposite of God. Your, your instinct is always going to preserve yourself, always do what's good for you. You've heard the expression, look out for number one. That's what your flesh wants to do. It wants to look out for number one, assuming that you are number one. It's not putting God in the number one spot. It's not until you've had some time to unlearn everything that you've been taught that you can actually learn to properly love and obey God. A lot of people, you'll, they'll say, well, you've been brainwashed. Well, here's the thing. Everybody, in one way or another, to some degree, has been brainwashed. Whether you're following the media and, and Hollywood and the sitcoms and, and whatever's on the TV, or whether you're following the words of this book, You've been brainwashed. You have been led to think a certain way, and your thoughts are based off of a certain pattern that is determined by what you put in. So if you're spending all your time listening to the media and, and all your time on the Internet, and you're spending all your time with your nose buried in the newspaper and, and listening to all that foolishness, and you're spending all your time watching sitcoms, okay, which take every opportunity they can to, to feminize men and take men out of, the, out of the leadership of the household. They don't even talk about the spiritual. Forget that. I'm just talking about the men being the physical leaders of the house. I don't think there's been a sitcom in the last 35, 40 years that have put men in the proper place in the household. And they've been doing it for a long time. So if that's what you're watching, if that's where your thought pattern, then you've been brainwashed by Hollywood and by the, the media. However, if you get your nose in this book and you start reading what God has to say and you start putting it into application, you start seeing the results, you start seeing what he can do in your life and what he is doing in your life and what he will do in your life, then yes, you're brainwashed. Well, I'd much rather be brainwashed by God, the creator of the universe, than some knucklehead out there in California or any other knucklehead. It's hard to love God, not because you don't want to, but rather you just don't want to battle the flesh enough to overcome it. I would love to lose about 30 or 40 pounds. You say, have you? No, I've probably gained several 
I'm sure I have, especially since Thursday. So why is that? Because I am not willing to stop sticking food in my pie hole. I'm not willing to overcome that, okay? I'm willing to just keep shoveling it in like there's no tomorrow. Now, what I want and what I do are two totally different things. If I want to obtain that which I want, in other words, to lose weight, then I have to stop doing the things that I'm doing. That is shoving pie and pecan pie and, and, and three berry pie and, and, and all kinds of souffles and casseroles and, and rolls. My wife has made probably three or four dozen rolls since Thursday. And I've probably eaten half of them. I know I'm making you all hungry. Um, I'm getting hungry. So that's why I can't lose weight. Um, but see, at a certain point, I'm, if I... If I want to lose weight, I'm going to have to overcome that desire to keep shoving food in my pie hole. Okay, that, that's simple. That's all there is. See, we look at this stuff and we, we try to make it more complicated than it is. God says, follow me. Do what I say. And we say, well, that sounds good. And, and we can do that. But we're, we're going to kind of take a detour and we're going to do it the way the world wants us to do it in hopes of getting where you want us to be. So that's not the way it works. That's That's... That's not loving God the way he wants you to love him. Paul said he died daily. Now, he didn't physically die daily, but his flesh had to die. In other words, he had to keep putting down his flesh. He had to keep turning away from the things that his, his sinful flesh wanted to do in order to serve God, in order to follow Jesus Christ the way he knew he had to. He had to put away the things of this world. Jesus told us to take up our cross daily, not just once, or not just on Christmas and Easter, or not just on a Hallmark holiday, but daily. The Bible says, and everything give thanks, not just on the fourth Thursday of every November. You know, we should be giving thanks every day, not just one day out of the year when, when the card companies benefit from it. <clears throat> that battle against the flesh, like I said, it'll never end. Not as long as you're, you're breathing and you're drawing in this air. It's just not going to end. You have to realize that. And you have to realize, okay, what do I want more? Who do I want to please more? Satan in this world or do I want to please God more? It's a simple choice. Tell them down at the ADC all the time. It's black and white. It does not get any simpler than that. Who do you want to please? Who do you want to serve? There's no gray areas. There's heaven and hell. There, there's no in-between. There's no, uh, um, uh, what's that, purgatory. There's none of that. Um, Abraham, he got to the point of sacrificing, getting ready to sacrifice his son, not because he didn't love Isaac, but because he loved God more. He loved his son. Of course he did. Ishmael, you know, he'd, he'd send, had to send him away, and God said, it's all right, don't worry, I'll take care of him. But there's, there's a controversy here, there's a problem. Get him out of the picture. He said, I'll still take care of Isaac. Of course, Abraham loved him. But he said, you know what? I love God more. And if this is what God wants me to do, then this is what I'm going to do. Over in the book of Luke, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's not a contradiction to the, to the fifth commandment. I believe it's the fifth commandment. It says, uh, uh, honor your father and your mother. Okay, and it's not a, a, a contradiction to the verses that speak of children obeying their parents. That's not a contradiction at all. What it's saying is we need to learn uh, Jesus Christ above 
and uh, uh, everything else, and everyone else, including ourselves. See, he has to be at the forefront of that. Uh, nothing, second to none, second to nothing. It's him in first place, or he's not in it at all. And that's where we struggle. That love was developed, that, that the Abraham, that love he had for God, it was developed through a walk. It was developed through trials. It was developed through, through temptations, and yes, even through some missteps and, and a lack of faith a few points along the way. But you know what? It was, most of all, it was developed through God's grace. I started doing a, a Bible study on God's grace there at the men's breakfast, and I started it in October, and I figured it would go two, maybe three months, and I'd be done. Last time I got through one point, and I had two more that I thought I would get to, and I didn't, and I've got two or three beyond that. So at this rate, we will probably be in June or July before I get through the thing, you know, if the, if the Lord lets me go on with it. But here's the thing. When you, start, when you start drilling deep, you start digging down into God's grace, man, that thing is just never-ending. It, it does not have a bottom to it. It infiltrates every aspect of our lives. It goes back to the cross of salvation. Grace is all throughout every single page of this book. And I, I can't possibly, I, I could spend a year on it and still not even tap into every possible facet of it. If I get five or six months, four months, whatever it is, I know I won't be barely scrapping, uh, scra uh, scraping the surface. I'll hardly even be getting into it. That's how deep that thing is. He gives you the grace to, go, to, to know the ability, uh, to have the ability to know right from wrong. He gives you the grace uh, through the ability to overcome sin. He gives you grace in the ability to fight this flesh. He gives you grace by letting you see how wicked and perverted this world really is. We were downtown Friday night, that parade. Uh, we were in our spot like we always are every single year and have been for many years when that shot rang out and, 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 and people started running. And I'm thinking, well, look at this. You know, one thing I did not hear, I heard a lot of screaming, a lot of hurt, you know, people yelling, move, move, run, get out of the way. You know, one thing I did not hear, I did not hear one person complain about the presence of a police officer that night. It's funny how they, when they need them, they're not complaining about them. See, it, it, you say you're getting off a little bit of a rabbit trail. Well, maybe so. But see, here's, and I got a point to this. But people only, they don't want, the, they want to defund the police. They don't want the police around because they don't want them to be around when they're doing things they know they shouldn't be doing. But yet, when it's their hide on the line, and when things aren't going the way, when they've lost control of the situation, then all of a sudden it's, oh, where's the cops? Where's the cops? See, they had no problem when all of a sudden the lights flared up and the, and the sirens rang out and the cops charged downtown. See, when I, they were running away from danger, those guys that they hate so much were running into the face of an unknown danger. You know what that is? That's the grace that God gave me to know you believe in that stinking media, you believe in what you read on the TV, it's going to be wrong, it's going to take you down the wrong trail. You believe what you read in this book, and you're going to be much better for it. Amen. That's what that is. That's the it's not about the police, it's not about any of that political stuff. It's about God putting men there to do things that no one else wants to do, and about me, him giving me the grace to know the difference between what the world teaches and what this, what this Bible teaches. That's all grace of God. He gives you grace by letting you go through some things, not only that you can grow, so you can be a help to others. It's not always about you. You're going to go through some pain, just like in that song. That was a good song. You know why? Because it, it's true. It's real life. We're going to go through some problems. 
And for a young lady to write a song like that means there's been some things on her mind, some things that she's experiencing, she's witnessed, people she knows, whatever the case may be. But whatever it is, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've seen, is going to be there to help somebody else in their time of need. And I wouldn't take that lightly. That's a blessing from God. and He's given you some grace, not only through that song, but to be a minister when somebody's going to need it. And that's a very important thing. You want to love God? Hate the world. Now, not hate like we read about earlier. I mean hate the world. Not just love it less. Hate it. Hate the sin. Hate the things that Satan would have you to do. You can love the sinner. You're supposed to try and get them to Jesus Christ. Present the gospel to them. But you don't have to like what they do. You don't have to like their sin. You certainly don't have to partake in it. Hate the things that will keep you away from him. I'm going to close this up. God has given you some promises, as we talked about earlier, promises that you should draw some strength from. He's given you many of them. I can't even begin to list them. But just to name a few, he's given you a promise of eternal life. Now, if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you don't have that promise. Rest assured, there is a part of you that will go on eternally, whether it's in heaven or whether it's in hell. Once you're there, wherever it is you're going to end up eternally, there's no coming back out of it. If you go to hell, you'll get a very slight reprieve at the, judgment, at the white throne of judgment, and then you'll just jump into the lake of fire, be tossed in there for all eternity. So, and I'm not even sure if that's actually going to be a reprieve. Um, but here's the thing, that can change. That can change just like that. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you're here and you're, you're lost. So you get a promise of eternal life. You get a promise of eternal security. The world will tell you you can lose it. You can't. Not in this dispensation. Not in this age. You can't lose it. You get a promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You get a promise that someday this is all going to be over and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will reign. Not, not Trump. Not DeSanto. Not Biden. Putin. Whoever. Pick your poison. None of those, those schmoes are going to be you know, worth anything. Jesus Christ will reign someday. Amen. And ain't nobody ever going to dethrone him. Do you have the strength to choose God and defy the world? Do you have the strength to have faith? Do you have the strength to love God above all? After Abraham had chosen God over Isaac, he also, God also, a couple verses beyond where we read, he also added the promise of descendants as numerous of the sand of the sea. That's three promises of numerous descendants. That's not the same promise three ways. That's three promises pertaining to three groups of people. God will never fail to keep a promise, and he will always keep on making them the closer you get to him. And because I've become so fond of my military illustrations, I'm going to close in one. Early days of the Korean War, uh, You'll widely see it referred to as a Korean conflict or a police action. Uh, they were not over there arresting people. They were over there. People were being sent over there uh, by their country to uh, fight, and maybe not always knowing what they were fighting for, but they were sent over there to fight, and they died. So that's a war. So during the Korea, early days of the Korean War, uh, the general of the 8th Army, uh, what he liked to do as his pilot, he would, he would fly low. I mean, real low. They said sometimes they would barely be 50 feet off the ground. And the reason he wanted to do this was he wanted to see where the enemy were because they were fighting an enemy, uh, the North Korean and the Chinese, although they didn't realize how 
much they were fighting the Chinese, how much they were invested at this point. But he said they were flying low and they were flying. He would, wanted to see where the enemy was. And he wanted to see where uh, uh, different divisions and battalions of the 8th Army were and, how, and what kind of ground they had. And he said at one point, uh, he, he was flying along and he's seen the enemy, he's seen their positions, uh, he, he's seen where they had, what, what kind of equipment they had, uh, uh, the terrain that they were fighting against, and he saw the 8th Army was starting to pull back and starting to retreat. And he told the pilot, he says, get lower. He said, get as low as you can absolutely go, and he says, and pull that throttle back. He said, cut it back. He said, I want to, I want to, and he grabbed his bullhorn, and he started shouting out the door. He said, you have a good defensible position. Okay, you can withhold against the enemy. Don't retreat. Don't fall back. Hold your ground. And he flew along the front lines telling the 8th Army troops this. Well, I'm here to tell you, God right now is telling you, you have a good defensible position. He is greater than your enemy. Don't fall back. Don't retreat. Christian, hold your ground. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this... Uh, this opportunity to preach. I just pray, Lord, I didn't say anything that would be a, a stumbling block, Lord. Uh, Lord, I love you, and I, I just thank you for your word. And I, I just pray and ask uh, to touch somebody tonight, Lord, and uh, we get some help from it. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Joe, you can see.